Good morning. As Josh said, my name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace. Specifically, I am one of the pastors at our downtown Iowa City congregation. And we are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. We are continuing through our series in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Before we jump into that, though, um, if you are new here, I'm going to give you some more specific instructions as an application from the sermon, but just want to say right now, we would love to help you get connected here at Grace. As we've been talking about what it means to be people of gospel community, and when we look at the scriptures today, we are going to see what it looks like to even have empathy and suffer well together and endure together. Uh, But before we can do those things, we have to know one another. So we want to encourage you to get connected. The first step is being known, and so we would encourage you to fill out the connection card in front of you or online or stop by and see Josh or myself after the service, or stop by our info table. We would love to just meet you, um, first and foremost, but next we can give you some steps to get connected as well. As I said, we're jumping back into Hebrews. We took a three-week, somewhat of a break. We used Hebrews 10 as a launching off point. Uh, Three weeks ago, we had Easter. Two weeks ago, we looked at what it looks like to be people of gospel truth. And then last week, we looked at gospel mission. We also talked about gospel community, what it looks like to be God's people together. We've been looking at what Hebrews 10 calls the new and living way that we have in light of what Christ has done for us. When we are in Christ, and because of the good news of what he has done, we have a new and living way of living our lives. We looked at what that means for our community within the body of Christ. We looked at what it means to go and make disciples, obeying Jesus's commission to go and make disciples who make disciples to the glory of God. Well, this morning we are looking at what it looks like when the biblical community suffers well. What does gospel suffering look like? We're talking about this this morning for a few reasons. First, it's next in our scripture. Uh, The rest of chapter 10 talks about how we suffer well, how we endure and persevere. We are also talking about this because Jesus suffered. And not only so, but he said, if you follow me, then you will suffer also. He says in John 15, the world hated me first, it will hate you too. Remember that it hated me first. He also says that if we follow him, we will have trouble. We take up our cross as we follow him. Not only so, but God's people have a history of suffering through a number of different ways and a number of different means, which we'll take a look at here this morning. God's people have not gone through life unscathed. They have suffered. And when we look at our own lives, whether it's in the past or whether it's now or whether we look to the future, there are times when we suffer. So what does it look like to not shrink back but to endure that suffering? The book of Hebrews tells us that there are two kinds of people that go through suffering. There are those that shrink back, those who do not endure and do not persevere, and there are those who do not shrink back, who indeed endure and persevere well. Today we learn what makes all the difference as we all endure suffering. Would you pray with me and for me as we get started? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. God, thank you that you have not left us to suffer on our own, but you have spoken to us. You have spoken through your word and through your spirit and through your people, even through your people throughout generations. And Father, we look forward to hearing from you this morning. God, I can't know what everyone in this room or that's viewing online has endured, but God, you know. I pray that you would speak to each one here today. Give each person 
a word from you, a word of comfort, a word of encouragement, a reminder of your presence, a reminder of the good news this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we've talked about gospel truth, community, and mission, and this morning we're talking, uh, taking a look at gospel suffering. We're talking about gospel suffering. Now, why are we throwing that adjective or that uh, descriptive word gospel in front of suffering? Are we just throwing gospel out there to sprinkle a little Jesus on everything? Gospel truth, gospel community, gospel coffee, gospel music? Or what are we saying when we say gospel suffering? Well, when we say the word gospel, the gospel literally means good news. So this morning, we're looking at a group of people that as they endured suffering, they remembered the good news. And as we look at what they endured, and as we look at how they did not shrink back and in how they persevered, we can see for ourselves what we need either to go through current suffering or future suffering, or even how to think about suffering that has happened in the past. How can suffering be good news? Open up with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 37, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But you are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. As we take a look at this passage, we start in verse 32 with the word but, which says to us that there's something that came before this that is being in contrast. It's put in contrast with what we're reading here today. We skipped ahead through verses 26 through 31, but to give you just a recap, verses 26 through 31 of Hebrews chapter 10 say that some will not persevere, that some will shrink back as they endure suffering. Some will sin, just like all of us as humanity, but they will go on sinning deliberately. They will not come to a place of repentance. They will not receive the good news. They will not be in Christ. And it says that they will be judged along with those who drove the very nails into Jesus's hands. So the author of Hebrews is saying that some who maybe even Hebrews 6 talks about how maybe they have played church. They've said they were a part of the community. We think they're a part of the community. They will actually shrink back. They will not persevere through their sin, through their suffering. But here, in Hebrews 10.32, we are told, but, but recall the former days. We are being told that this group of people, in contrast to those that shrink back, have not shrank back. And in fact, in verse 29, or 39 of Hebrews 10, we see that we are not of those who shrink back. 
but we are of those who endure, who persevere. So what does it take to be this kind of person that does not shrink back, that does not go on sinning deliberately, that receives grace, that can go through suffering even while remembering the good news? So in order to learn how to endure, first we need to learn what they endured, and we need to take a few moments here to think about what we endure. And the first thing I'd like to look at is they endured their own sin as well as the sin of others. We see in the book of Hebrews, plus we just see throughout the history of God's people, that even if we are in Christ and even if we are a part of his true church, the biblical community, we continue to struggle with the flesh and the spirit. We continue to sin. And this sin happens because there's suffering in our life. This sin brings about more suffering in life. And there are consequences for walking in the flesh and for sinning. Now, it's not a one-to-one correlation. Scripture tells us that he does not treat us according to our sins deserved by the grace of God. It's not a one-to-one. That's karma. That's not the gospel. But we are told that there are consequences. And there's even discipline from the Lord when we sin. And that those consequences or that discipline from the Lord can bring about physical suffering. Or because we live in a fallen world, we have suffered at the hands of others due to their sin. And so whether it's our parents, our coworkers, our bosses, our kids, our spouse, we have not always been treated the way that we want to be treated. We have not been treated the way that God describes that we should treat one another. And so we suffer consequences at the hand of other people's sin as well. So whether it's our own sin or sin done against us, it can lead to suffering, even a physical suffering, because of our pattern of walking in the flesh, because of living in that fallen world. So we struggle with things day in and day out because we walk in the flesh or others have walked in the flesh as they have interacted with us. They had also seen, God's church had seen people walk away. We're told here that some did not endure. Some played church, they came to church, they said they were a part of things, but then they walked away. The folks that are reading this letter, the folks that are gathering in the gospel community in the first century have seen people walk away from the faith. They've seen the consequences of deliberate, unrepentant sin. And we have seen that too whether it's through deliberate sin or whether it's getting distracted by the things of this world, we have seen people walk with the biblical community for a certain time and then shrink back, drift away. So the first thing that they had to endure was sin, their own and others and the consequences of those. The next thing is outside forces, outside physical forces that were stacked against them. Look with me at verses 33 and 34 of chapter 10. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. There were outside forces against God's church. And if we look at history, we see that the majority of time, there are physical outside Forces that are stacked against God's church, that are against the things of God, that do not see the gospel as good news, that do not like when the light exposes darkness. And so there are physical forces stacked against God's church. A Roman uh, historian from the first century wrote a vivid account of what the Christians endured in the first century when they were faced with outside forces. The emperor at the time in Rome was Nero. 
And it says that Christians in the first century faced mockery of every sort. And this was added to their very physical death. They were covered with the skins of beasts and then torn apart by dogs and perished. Or they were nailed to crosses. Or they were doomed to the flames and burnt and served to illuminate the night for Nero. We're then told that Nero would dress as one of the civilians so he could walk among the palace gardens where the Christians were being crucified, burnt, torn to shreds so he could witness it with his own eyes. God's people have faced persecution from outside forces in the past, but also currently as well. There's a couple of things that we need to consider as we think about outside forces, not just from the past, but currently. The first thing that we need to remember is that there are people who claim the name of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ right now in our world that are facing death because of the cause of Christ. They're facing death because they proclaim the good news. In fact, Voice of the Martyrs estimates that 100,000 believers are martyred every single year. And by some estimates, things are just progressively getting worse in more parts of the world for God's people as they proclaim the truth. So first, we need to be good world-minded Christians and realize that people are losing their life, being imprisoned, being tortured, because they will not renounce the name of Christ every single day in our world. There are outside forces stacked against the church and against God's people. The second thing we need to consider is just our own world, even here in America. Is it so outlandish to think that in our lifetime, we could see laws changed that would start persecuting God's church? What if we as a church lose our tax-exempt status because of what we believe and it changes the financial picture of this church and others as well? What if at the downtown church where we are renters, what if we can't find a lease in downtown Iowa City because of the things that we do and do not believe? What if we have to submit the outlines for our sermons to the government before we can preach them? I might be okay. Brooks, not so much. What if it's unlawful for us to assemble? What if we can't meet in a building together at a given time and sit in padded chairs and drink free coffee? In 1 Peter chapter 2, we are told that we are supposed to live such honorable lives in the world that even as the world speaks evil against us or does evil against us, that in the end, even our enemies will glorify God because of our honorable behavior. How do we endure that as we face outside forces? Next, we endure physical suffering. God's people have always gone through life not unscathed from physical pain. We still live in a fallen world. So whether it's God's people in the first century or God's people today or people sitting in this very church, we go through physical suffering. We live in a fallen world. We sin. Others sin against us. And so our bodies are in decay. Our bodies are headed towards death. 
And so we see our bodies headed towards death and sometimes at an accelerated rate. Sometimes we see people die before an age that seems acceptable for them to die. We, we see people with chronic illnesses where there's just a poison in their body that is bringing about decay. We see people lose their eyesight before they're ready. We see the effects of living in a fallen world. Whether that's on a very short time scale in a microcosm, like being sick or having ill effects from a virus, whatever it may be, whether that's short-term or whether that's long-term chronic illness or losing people before their time, we suffer from physical pain and physical suffering living in a fallen world. Our bodies don't work the way that they're supposed to. And lastly, spiritual forces. We suffer from spiritual forces. Let's first think about the first century church, God's people. We see in the first century, the book of Acts, and throughout history, we see that thousands of people were being added to the disciples daily. The gospel was being proclaimed and lived out so powerfully that thousands were coming to faith. You read accounts in the book of Acts of the disciples passing by people and just their shadow passing by would heal the lame. We see the gospel spreading and the kingdom advancing all over the known world in the first century. We see God's people doing miraculous things, the kingdom advancing in the power of our resurrected savior. Don't you think that the forces of darkness would be against that powerful move of the spirit? There were spiritual forces aimed directly at God's people, trying to distract them, trying to defeat them, sending demonic forces, sending darkness, sending outside forces, sending whatever they could to keep God's people from proclaiming the good news. Now let's think about us. Let's think about this church. You just heard last week that we desire to see a thousand people come to Christ in the next five years. Don't you think that the spiritual forces of darkness hate that goal? Don't you think the spiritual forces of darkness hate you if you are about the things of God? As we align ourselves more and more with God and his purposes and his kingdom come, the spiritual forces and our enemy will be against us. So we've looked at not only how the first century church, but how we struggle, the things that we have to endure. We struggle with sin. We struggle with physical suffering, outside forces, spiritual forces, So how do we endure? We're going to look to the scriptures here and see three ways that this church, this first century church endured, and we're going to see some clues about how we can endure as well. First, we draw near. Look back with me at Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Look with me at verse 35 of chapter 10. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence 
which is of great reward. We need to draw near to our Savior because of what he has done for us. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author is reminding the church that you may feel like you are going through the worst of suffering. You may feel like you are going through hell itself, but remember that Christ went through suffering on your behalf. We tend to forget this or devalue it because we think about Jesus being fully God, but he was also fully man. And he suffered to the point of death, even death on a cross for you and for me. Our suffering can give us a laser, clear, undistracted focus on who Jesus is. Because when we suffer, we have a co-sufferer that can empathize with our weakness in Jesus. Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, endured for you and for me. The way that we can suffer and still believe the good news is we can remember what Christ has done. Christ says, in this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Jesus says, you will suffer, but I'm going to go first. Jesus says, take up your cross and die to your flesh to follow me, but I'm going to go first. We can draw near to him because he first drew near to us with his death, his suffering on the cross. We can draw near because of what he has done for us. Secondly, how did they endure? They endured through empathy. Through the biblical gospel community. Look with me at verses 33 and 34 once again. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partner with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They endured by suffering together. And the way that they drew near to one another in their suffering was through empathy. In 1 Corinthians 12, we are told that we are the body of Christ and that if one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. Friends, can I just say we are terrible at this in our culture? We are terrible at empathy. We first think that we need to understand someone's pain or their pain needs to line up with our political categories in order for us to have empathy. It's not the way that empathy works. Empathy listens, empathy connects. Empathy identifies with someone's pain even when we can't understand it. Friends, not only are we weak at this as a culture, but it's vitally important as we move forward as a church that we are a people that empathize not only with one another, but with our world that is in pain. If we see a thousand people, Lord willing, come to Christ in the next five years, do you know that they are going to come into this church with a trailer truck full of baggage? Just like we did. And if we don't empathize with that, and if we don't empathize with the things that they have suffered, then what we are communicating to them is first clean up your junk, first clean out that trailer, and then you can enter into the kingdom. First, you need to look like us, dress like us, vote like us, think like us. Then you can come into the kingdom. Folks, this is not the way of the kingdom. 
That's not good news. The good news that was extended to you, we need to extend to our culture that is hurting. Our culture needs the good news of the gospel that anyone can get in on this because of what Christ has done. Then he will go about cleaning out your trailer truck full of garbage. And if you're like me, he's still cleaning some stuff out. There's still some junk that he's dealing with in my life. Just like yours, we need to have empathy. We need to suffer as others suffer. We need to connect with people over their pain. Third, we need to look to the kingdom. The Hebrews looked to the kingdom. The author here tells them in verse 34 that they had a better possession and in fact an abiding one. Verses 37 through 39, the author does a brilliant commentary on the whole book of Habakkuk as well as Isaiah 26 where he combines the two principles found in those passages and says, yet in a little while the kingdom will come. And after we have endured for a little while, we will not shrink back because the kingdom is coming. We have a great reward. We have a kingdom that is to come. And in fact, as we move forward into chapter 11, we will see that the people of God for generations have had faith because of the kingdom to come. In verse one, it says that faith is the assurance and the conviction of things unseen. We read in verse 10 that the people of God were looking forward to the city that's foundation and designer and builder is God. In verse 16, we read that he has prepared a city for his people. In verse 26, we see that Moses was faithful because he was looking to the reward to come. In verse 40, we are told that God has provided something better for us than the things of this world. When we look to the kingdom to come, we can say, I may be in pain now. I may be suffering now. I may feel like I am far from good news or far from God now, but the kingdom is coming. In this world, we have trials. In this world, we have suffering. But because of what Christ has done, because of his death and his burial and his resurrection, we are told that that resurrection is the first fruits for us. That one day we will rise from the grave and we will be restored. Our bodies will be restored. The world will be restored. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new kingdom will come. When you travel to a foreign country, and they put a stamp in your passport, you get that stamp when you get to the country, when you arrive there. Not so for the people of God. Our passport has already been stamped for the kingdom. Because according to the Father, because of what Christ has done for you, if you are in Christ, you are already a citizen of the kingdom. And the spirit is a deposit inside of us that guarantees that inheritance. We can remember no matter what we suffer, we have a good God and his kingdom will come and he will set right everything that is broken. So how do we take action? How do we take action in light of these things to endure? The first thing that we can do is draw near to our savior. What does it look like for you to draw near to your Savior today? First, I want to challenge you to think about, are you in Christ? 
has your passport been stamped for this new heavenly kingdom? It's not based on you doing anything good. It's not based on you figuring everything out theologically. It's about what Christ has already done for you. Are you in the kingdom? Draw near to your heavenly father. Here's the thing, folks. We're going to suffer. We are going to suffer. No matter how you slice it, at some point, we are going to suffer or we have already suffered and will continue to suffer. I invite you to go through it with our great Savior that suffered on your behalf. If you are already in Christ, what does it look like to continually be reminded of the good news, continually be reminded of his nearness to you? First and foremost, you can do that by looking at Scripture, by seeing the goodness of God, by looking at Hebrews 11 and looking at the testimony of the generations of God's people that have endured through suffering, who have not shrank back, but has, have lived as good news people even as they suffered. First and foremost, look to his word. What does it look like to draw near? Pain has a way of focusing us on what is most important. Pain and suffering has a way of stripping away all the distractions and giving us a laser focus on two things, the reality of pain and the reality of how hard it is separated from God, but it also reminds us of the nearness of our God even as we suffer. C.S. Lewis says that God whispers to us in our joys, but he shouts to us in our pain, and that's how he rouses our deaf ears to the things of God. It's in our pain often that we can draw near in a special and intimate way with our, suf- our Savior that suffered first. So first, we need to draw near as we suffer in order to endure. Next, empathy. What does it look like for you to extend empathy and a listening ear to someone in our world today? What does it look like to engage someone that does not look like you, does not vote like you, does not have the theology like you, does not have the family that you have? What does it look like to extend empathy to another this week? What does it look like to listen well? Again, if we are going to see a thousand people come into the kingdom, it's because they're going to learn about the kindness of God through the kindness of his people. We don't argue people into the heaven or into heaven or into God's kingdom. God radically changes them and radically saves them, and we might be blessed enough to be used. What does it look like to extend empathy to others who are suffering greatly? Lastly, taking care of our souls, letting God minister to our souls as we go through the already and not yet of the kingdom. Because the fact of the matter is, our passport may be stamped for the kingdom, but we still live in the kingdom of man. And we still live in these bodies of flesh. And so we will endure suffering. So how do we take care? How do we let him minister to us as we go through that? Three action steps for soul care. Uh, The first one is lean into community. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the church is instructed to not give up the habit of meeting together. It's not just because Jesus likes potlucks and likes Bible studies, though I'm sure he does, but it's because they're going to face suffering. 
It's because they're going to be persecuted. And they need the biblical community. What does it look like to lean into community? If you already have that community, I want to encourage you to lean into it. I want to challenge you, if you're already in biblical community, share what's going on at a heart level this week. Not just a prayer request about some relative having knee surgery, but what's going on in your heart. Share what's really going on at the most intimate and tender part of your heart. Lean into the community that God has already provided for you. If you don't have that community, we want to encourage you to find biblical community. Connect with others. There is no example in scripture of people doing Christianity and trying to walk in the kingdom on their own. And in fact, every time God's people do so, they get taken out immediately. We are going to go our own way. We're going to get distracted by the things of this earth and we're not going to endure. We're going to shrink back without biblical community. So we want to encourage you to be in a reoccurring group of people that is consistently challenging one another with the good news of the kingdom, consistently encouraging one another with the good news of the kingdom. What does it look like for you to know others and be known? That's what gospel community looks like. If you don't have that, we can help you find it. You can fill out that connection card on the seat back in front of you or online, or you can talk to someone, as I said earlier. We would love to help you get into a community group or some kind of reoccurring biblical community. The second step you can take is as you exit the sanctuary today, if you take a right, there's a wall of bookshelves. That's not Brooke Simpson's personal study. That is for you. Those are soul care resources that we have vetted, that we have made sure are great biblical resources that will speak to individual hurts or life situations that you're going through. If you take a look at one of those first shelves, it's called New Titles. There's some great titles there that are pertaining to exactly what we're talking about here that will help you draw near to God through his word as you go through particular difficulties. So stop by that physical shelf, or you can check out those resources on our website as well. And lastly, maybe you need to consider sitting down and talking with someone one-on-one through biblical counseling, where uh, someone trained here at our church can sit down with you and help you draw near to God through his word when you're going through a particular season of suffering, of pain, of addiction, whatever it may be, we, we want to help you with that. So you can sign up for biblical counseling on our website as well. Here's some of those sign-up links that I just noticed and how to, or mentioned and how you can go about accessing those resources. We want to encourage you to take action to work through the suffering that you have endured or to prepare yourself to persevere in the future. We want to be a group of people that really knows one another and helps one another. We don't want to give up the habit of meeting together. We don't want to be of those who shrink back. We want to be of those who endure because of the good news of the gospel, and we need to help one another. So let's come alongside of one another and be good news people to one another so that we can be good news people to a world that is in desperate need of good news. Would you stand with me this morning? We are going to conclude our service with Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26 is one of the places that the author of Hebrews was referring to in our scripture this morning. And we see the power of God to give rest and deliverance to his people when they need it the most. Would you pray with me?
Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that you have spoken. Thank you that you are very near to the brokenhearted. God, we pray that we would see clearly your kingdom come. We pray that we would be able to draw near to you because of all you have done for us. God, I pray that you would continue to speak to each one here this morning and whatever they have endured, whatever they are facing, whatever they will face in the future, we pray that you would show how very near you are to us in our pain and in our suffering. We have a strong city and he sets up salvation as walls for us. Open up the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord is an everlasting rock. The foot tramples over the kingdom of men. The feet of the poor and the steps of the needy are brought into the kingdom. The path of righteousness is level. You make level the way of the righteous. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. God, that is our desire, that we would earnestly seek you and that we would see your kingdom come. God, thank you for opening up your kingdom to the poor and the needy, the brokenhearted and the weary. God, we pray that we would remember the good news and we would share the good news with our world who is in desperate need of it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in grace. We'll see you next week.